Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 103. Today's guest is Malik Harris. Malik Harris is the founder of King's Corner Boxing, located in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Malik empowers lives through the art of boxing. Malik and I discuss the mental benefits of training a combat sport like boxing. We talk how boxing can empower the lives of children and adults. Malik tells amazing stories of transformations of children that come to him with ADHD, ADD, and anxiety, and how boxing helps them succeed in and outside of the ring. Malik is such an awesome guy. He is a force of positive energy and inspiration. He has an amazing backstory. Was so excited to get Malik back on the show. He has 12 children. He's an entrepreneur. He's a mentor to many. I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, please hit that follow button. Or better yet, share this episode with a friend. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Malik Harris, founder of King's Corner Boxing. And remember, life is built, not born. Malik Harris, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Malik, it's great to see you again. For our listeners that want to get familiar with Malik, Malik was episode 26. It was titled Boxing for Life. Malik tells an amazing story of how he grew up without a father in his life and how boxing played a role and how he went to the gym for the first time and how he became a boxing instructor. And then he spoke of the amazing story, how he and his wife not only started their family, but then adopted kids. And they have what, 12 children? Is that fair? Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Just amazing. And then since we last spoke, you had your King's Corner Boxing, you've expanded and you are all over the internet and Instagram. I wanted to a follow-up talk with you. One, you have so much going on. You have so much good going on. And talk about maybe how you built your business, the principles you run your business, and then the principles and life lessons that you carry out into your students, and then you transfer over to help make their lives better. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Just a quick recap. For those that maybe haven't listened to episode 26 yet, give us a quick bio where you grew up and how you came to do what you're doing. So I grew up in Penland area, which is like outside of Bluebell. That's where I was born. I moved all over the place from Norristown to Hatfield, Lansdale, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. That's where I was, I was born there. And again, I was I was that kid, you know, that, that typical kid that grew up without his father. Parents were divorced. The father spent most of his life on drugs. So I, I dealt with that. And I just I moved from place to place with my mom. My mom really, you know, she, she killed herself to make sure I had a, a great life the best she possibly could. And we were just all over the place, man. I actually ended up in Glen Mills for two years, which is where I actually turned my life around. I got from trouble in 1994, from 1994 to 1996, I was in Glen Mills. I was actually supposed to go to college to play football. I ended up dropping out of school because I had a daughter. But I spent two years there, and that's where I got my life together. It was a crazy time, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It got me that scared straight program um, where I had to go to Greater for Prison at the time, and they take you in there and they show you what life's all about. And I realized, hey, I don't, I don't want to be with this life. Um, I'll never forget there was an old guy, old guy had dreads in his head. And, uh, funny, he, I'll never forget he had this massively uh, cut up body like he had been bodybuilding his whole life. He could have probably went on stage with 
Ronnie Coleman, he told me, he said, man, you're at a fork in the road in your life, man. You got two choices, no more straight. You go left, you go right. One decision will be failure. One decision will be success. You make your choice. He said, I made one bad choice in 1983. I was three years old. He said, and I, and I shot somebody and I'll be here the rest of my life. And uh, he used this old quote to me by saying, I'll never, ever see McDonald's. You know, this was, he went in in 83. I saw him in 1995, almost 1996. At this point, you got to figure cell phones were analog then, right? So how much we've changed since then. But having that experience and being around him at that time and going there just changed the course of my life and made me decide that I wanted to do something different in my life. And, and that's where the journey began. Wow. In that quote, he said, I will never see McDonald's. Is that what he said? Yeah, he actually said, I'll, I'll actually never go through a McDonald's drive through ever again. And he simplified it so much to make me appreciate the fact that you and I, we get up right now, we go to McDonald's, right? No, no big deal. I mean, for this man to tell me, you know, it's a luxury for him to talk to me. It's a privilege to talk to me because this is part of his day to be able to reach the community and, and the young kids to teach us what not to do. For him to say that to me, then it didn't resonate as much as it does now, but it got the message across to me for sure. When you think we all live in America, it's not perfect, but it's still probably the greatest country ever created. And like we have so many freedoms and like you have a business and we have our families and we could go out and get ice cream and coffee or go for a run. And when your freedom is taken away because you did something and maybe you're in prison like that gentleman was, you want the simplest things. You don't want that $800 bag or you don't you know what I mean you don't want those eight three hundred dollar sneakers you want to like I want to go to McDonald's I want to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks the simple things are what you miss and you take for granted right yeah it's the simple thing to saying I just want to go see my son play a sport right I mean you yeah. never experience that ever again I'm not sure if by last time we talked I don't know if I had told you about my particular personal trainer so basically I had a gentleman who Taught me boxing for about seven years, and this guy taught me pretty much everything that I that that I know. Um, I you know I paid him every single week for seven years straight. I never missed a workout, never got sick, never got the flu, never took a vacation, nothing. I mean, I was dedicated to this life with him. And uh, as time went on, I decided that I wanted to do some other things and, and do stuff myself. And we got into a little tiss about it because I think at that point, you know, your mentor always wants to be your mentor. Um, and it was a time for me to blossom. It's, it's no different than a doctor going to school to be a surgeon and the professor getting mad because the doctor has now become successful in his own right and doing what he's doing. So him and I got into a little tits about something and because he wanted me to stay up under his wing. And I offered him a job to stay with me because his business had, you know, fallen apart. And um, so I said, listen, you can come do this job with me. But look, you know, this is a brand of people who I'm not trying to look, I'm not trying to create the next Mike Tyson, should I say. I would love to have Mike Tyson. But I'm not looking for him. I'm looking for the everyday kid that just is struggling in school, struggling to stay out of trouble. A mom's having a hard time with him or dad or just positivity, right? I'm looking for that kid to keep him busy, teach him he can do anything. Boxing to me is about the pressure of teaching people that are all levels. Look, life's going to hit you. You know what I mean? You got to learn how to hit it back, roll with the punches, take it for what it is and keep it moving. And having this gentleman help me at a time where I needed him to help me because I didn't have a father. He did that. And uh, in 2020, he actually came here to see me work out with some guys. And he was a little offbeat at that particular time. And my wife had heard him in the gym. He was kind of screaming. I had some guys in there he was training with. And I was sparring with the guys. And I was telling guys what to do. And he was really upset with the guys because they're listening to me. And I kept saying, listen to me. It's not that you're not good, that you're great at what you do. But he trained me for seven years. I know the playbook, right? So let me let me help you get better at what you're doing because I, I know the scheme of this, right? He taught me these same tricks he's teaching you. My wife calls me in the house and says, hey, I don't want this guy here anymore. Now, my, this is my mentor seven years. You know, so 
I was very upset with her. Like, what do you mean you don't want me anymore? She's like, I'm telling you there's something wrong with him. There's something wrong with him. And I'm like, no, he's just a little jealous. You know, it's fine. It will work the kinks out or whatever. So unfortunately, to say at least my wife was 100% right. So that happened in March. And within three months, that same trainer that I actually had, that I actually thought that I knew very, very well, shot his wife and his mother-in-law in the house in front of his children. Now, oh. this is a gentleman that I have spent many years with thinking that I know this person, thinking that I, I, I would bet my house on him, you know, as far as knowing someone and the, the understanding that the, the mental trauma that people take and things that people go through, sometimes you don't know. So having that experience and dealing with that with him and going through that whole um, experience of just, man, my wife was right. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, his wife, sweet, mother-in-law, sweet. And when I, I finally got a hold of him when he was in jail, because I just couldn't fathom and understand, like, how could you do this? Like, like I know you. Like, I... Well, I know you. So something had to happen. And for him to be on the phone and tell me, Malik, I don't even know what happened. Like, I don't even remember. I, I, I just I looked up and this is a guy who thought having guns was like a punk way out of it. You know, this guy thought his hands were everything. And that just took me in a different direction mentally of just understanding that life can throw you crazy, you know, things that happen. I just felt like it was good. We look at boxing so much as a physical aspect, but I look at more of the mental aspect of just teaching people like that pressure, right, of, you know, when COVID was hitting and everyone was in their houses and kids were like non-social and they were behind the computers and they were bullying behind the computers. They had nothing to do or they were becoming their own worst enemy and, and things like that nature. I felt like it was a great time for me to take my business and really get and dive into the mental aspect of boxing and how it mentally challenges people and carries over to their life in general. Wow. There's a lot there. First, thank you for sharing that story. When you, just out of curiosity, when you went after your wife noticed something and said, you know what, I don't want this person here anymore. And you went to him and said, that's what, what kind of reaction did he have when you, when you. So I actually, so ironically, I didn't tell him. So when my wife told me, I, I kind of like blew her off, like, okay, whatever. And, but even the other guys in the gym, they had felt a different vibe from him. And I just, when I told him about what I was doing, you would think that I was, and I'm saying this with, with all due respect and very humble. I was the guy who went the furthest with everything that he was doing with guys, right? Even mm -hmm. his program, I was the gentleman who introduced him to the right people to get that program started. And that program fell apart for various reasons. But I thought he would be proud of me. So it was really a hurtful thing for me to tell him that I was doing something and I brought him to my house and for him to look at it and just really degrade it by saying like, oh, you don't need all this. Like I had jazz at my garage. I put a ring in there. Like, you know, I put my heart and soul into it. I took every little penny I had and really made this particular situation what I wanted it to be. And looking at him like a father figure, to have him come in and kind of like, you know, put a little hole in my balloon, it rubbed me the wrong way. But at the same token, I said, you know, it's not for everybody, right? Everybody doesn't have the same dream as you. He wasn't sitting in the bed crying and praying and begging God to give you the opportunity to do what you want to do. So and I knew that he wouldn't understand. I just thought that he would. So when that happened, I just took it as, you know what? I'll, I can show you, but I can tell you. And that was in my mind frame. And I just said, you know what? I just won't bring him back. And then he will be the guy who just sees down the line what happens. And then either he will adapt and then, you know, want to join what I'm doing in that aspect or he won't, but it won't stop me. And that happened in March. And then literally I had got an NWCP award in February. Um, right after that, I got the Montgomery Township award about two weeks later. And then that was through like the week in between when COVID was like hitting. So when that happened for the next couple months, no one was going out. Right. So it kind of like, it fell in my lap in the sense of I didn't actually have to say it verbally because mm -hmm. no one was going anywhere with COVID just being at that time, you know, um, it just started. Nobody knew what was going on. And yep. during that time, this all happened. One of the benefits I think that guys have from being married to good women like you have 
and I have is you can get advice and about 99.9% of the time they're right. (laughs) When they say something, they notice something, see something like, and we don't see it either our ego or we think we, we have more, we're more in control than we really think we have. And they're right. They see something we don't and they give us advice. And I know the times I didn't take my wife's advice or like she sees something and it's, it's so spot on. It's it's like a gift yeah. that you get from being married, right? Yeah, yeah. Six cents they had for sure. Yeah, that's so cool. So a couple of things. You one thing you mentioned there, and I want to get if we could dive a little deep into this. The mental aspect, the mental benefits of boxing draw you more than the physical aspects, right? Absolutely. Uh, so coming from the other side of like jujitsu, right now I'm fifty. I train so much more for the mental side of things than I do the physical side. Like barring someone coming after my family in a parking lot or something, like I'm not getting into a fight. It's like, like, like getting on a fight is like not even in the top hundred things I want to do in any day. Even though I've been training jujitsu for 20 years, like I don't want to fight anybody because you don't know they have a gun, they have a knife, they know jujitsu, they know boxing, whatever. But like the mental side, the side of calmness, peace, like being in very uncomfortable situations when you train that I find you could bring that out into the world when you're at your job and maybe your boss or maybe a customer's getting on you. You could just stay so calm and not let it bother you because you've already been in such a place 10 times more uncomfortable early that morning or late last night when you were training, right? Um, if you could speak to the mental aspects of boxing that you see and then what you try to pass on to your students, if you could. So, yeah, so the mental aspect of it all is this, right? So I, I get a lot of children, and I'm I'm going to use these these particular labels because this is what the world labels them as. I have kids with, like, uh, autism, ADD, ADHD, right? So all these kids, they come in, their parents are bringing them to me, right? And they need a place to go for the outlet for mental. So when I'm working with these particular kids, right, uh, and adults, you know, and by all means, the mental aspect of it all is they're already dealing with something internally, right? So they're already dealing with whatever society makes them feel like or they feel like about themselves. So with me... I'm teaching like, listen, do you want to quit, right? I'm going to put you in an unfamiliar situation, uncomfortable, right? I, I give kids an example. I said, listen, my job at the end of the day is I don't, I'm, it's not about you going pro, right? If I get one kid to stand up at their high school or their college and stand up and say, because of Coach Malik, I wouldn't be such and such. That That's everything to me, right? It's not, like I said, I like to have pros and all these things or whatever. But when you impact a person that that your legacy goes on with that person, that person feels like they could have made it without you. That means more to me than anything. It becomes on a mental aspect of kids. When I look at them, I'm saying, listen, if there's 100 kids around you and everybody has their cell phone out and the kid's picking at you, right? Scared parents end up in police stations. Not kids that know what they're doing. If my child doesn't know what to do and you bully my kid and my kid gets embarrassed, because this has happened to children that have come to me, right? They've been in situations where they did not defend themselves. They were uncomfortable. They were almost Snapchat or, you know, Instagram, whatever it can be. They're getting beat up by somebody, come back next day to school with a bat or a gun or something like that, whatever, because they're not going to just let it go down like that, right? So when I teach a kid, like, listen, who cares, right? Like, listen, you tell that kid, listen, I don't want this problem, you don't want this problem, right? As long as they don't come within your arms reach of distance and your personal space, right? You're okay, right? If they don't hit you, you're okay, right? Keep yourself at a distance, be aware of what's going on, right? And you can walk away from it because you know you can protect yourself. But when you can't protect yourself, 
that's when you actually end up wanting to fight somebody. I, it's very rare. Right? When you say about, you know, how you've been doing jiu-jitsu for so long, whatever. It's very rare that you find a pro boxer or someone a high-level jiu-jitsu or someone that gets into fighting on the street. Because most times they respect the craft, right? They're mentally like, listen, I know what I'm doing. I have nothing to prove to you, right? I want to go with my family. You know, I do this for whatever the case may be. Even if they do it for a living. The last thing you want to do is sit on the street and be fighting somebody about some nonsense that normally starts over stupid stuff. I want to say, I, have, I don't have the numbers right accurate for this year, right? But I'll tell you, three, four years ago, 93% of fights started from words. 93%. That means I said something to you, you said something to me, and we've escalated from there, right? That is a high, high rate of fighting over words. So when I look at you and you look at me and you say, what are you looking at? I got two choices. I can say, I was looking at you or I was looking at you, right? I, this, my demeanor will say a lot about whatever the case may be. At this point in time, we can't even look at each other, right, without there being a problem, right? Everyone has a problem about something egotistical. So the mental aspect of it all is is when you can protect yourself, you have that confidence in yourself, you don't have to worry about those things. So I teach kids, I put them under pressure, I make them cry, and, and I tell them, when you come with me, you're going to cry, you're going to throw your gloves down, you're going to walk out. You're going to tell me you hate me. You're going to cuss at me under your breath if you don't do it out verbally. You're going to tell your parents you're not coming back. You're going to do everything under the sun, but you're going to come back. And you're going to keep coming back because no one's going to push you like I'm going to push you. I, and, and, and I say that confidently that no one's going to do what I'm going to do with you because it's mental. I want you to be unbreakable. So when that test hits you, you know what to do. And when that girlfriend or that boyfriend breaks up with you, you're not on suicide watch, right? When, when, when the job interview comes, you can look a person in their face and look eye to eye with that particular person interviewing you and say, hey, yes, I want this job. I'm looking for this job, right? Because right now, kids can't even do that. They can't look at you in your face when you're talking to them. Yeah. So the mental aspect of it all is, it's just the mental portion of it all is that if I can get you mentally, I beat you. Floyd Mayweather, Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, they beat everyone mentally before they ever stepped into the ring. These guys were, people were beat. When they got in the ring, they lost their mind. These are pros. These guys couldn't even think straight anymore because what they did, the taxes, what they said, I'm going to knock you out there. Like, if you don't realize, those words beat the people. They were beat before they ever even stepped into the ring, and they don't even know it. So that mental aspect of it all is you have to be in control of yourself. If I control your mind, I control everything. I control mm -hmm. your mind. I control everything. It's not, your, it's not your body, right? Because your body does what it wants to do. But your mind does everything. Your mind's telling you, do this, don't do that. So if I take that, I got you. A couple of things. One, is there, has anyone ever won a fight more before with the stare down than a young Mike Tyson when he'd come in the ring with that ripped undershirt and he just stares at the guy and it's over right there? It's over right there. Yeah, Crazy. and he'll tell you he was more scared than anybody else. When he went into the ring, he was actually more scared. He actually did that out of fear. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like to put fear in the mouth, but he was actually scared. And also, too, like how many times does the mind quit before the body? Rarely is the body unable to go when the mind says keep going. Like it's usually the other way around. The mind says stop when the body had a lot more left, right? Is that what you say? Yeah. Yeah, I'll give people in my gym an example. I'll be telling them to do something. They don't want to quit. And I said, well, if you were hanging from that building right now and a fire was under you, and if you let go, you would burn up in that fire, but you had to hold on for two more minutes until the fire engine got there to get you off, I can bet you you would hold on to that ledge of that building. So you need the same aspect of hitting this bag. Don't tell me you're tired because your mind tells you you're tired, but your body can take so much more. It's no different than, not that I ever want to experience this, but a car falling on someone you love, right? How does someone with superhuman strength lift that car off that person, right? You can't do it on a normal day. Right. But something hits you at that particular point in time, the circumstances. So, you know, when I, I listen to somebody like David Goggins, when he says he looks outside, when he goes running, he doesn't look outside to see whether he's going to run or not. He looks outside to see what clothes he's going to put on. Right. It doesn't matter yeah. what, what, the, what the weather is. Right. 
the bottom line is I'm just going to see what I need to put on. I'm not deciding whether I'm going to go outside and run or not. That's, you know what I mean? That's the mental aspect. As you said, how is your mind? So I take those, those guys who've been to the trenches and, and take their philosophy and use it in my own world for myself and, and my students. I love Goggins. There's a quote I wrote down somewhere. It says, who's going to carry the boats? You know I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Who's going to carry the boats? You know what I mean? Uh, you know? Oh my, who's carrying the boats? That guy is a beast, such a beast. Yeah. You mentioned you do a lot of work with kids that you say maybe on the spectrum or of ADD or autism. What type of benefits do you see them getting after they stay with your boxing program? What do you see the boxing gives them? So one of the things is their confidence, right? They really get their confidence together. Most of them, their confidence is shot because they feel like they don't fit in in other situations. So confidence is key, you know, uh, not cocky, but confidence, right? Um, not arrogance, but that confidence in a person. So I see that immediately. They feel welcome because I was a kid who had um, a learning disability. So I fit right in. I tell people, look, I had, uh, I was a Pictionary learner. So when I was growing up, I really didn't know how to read. Basically, I would memorize things. I could you show me something one time, I would memorize what it was, and and that's how I learned. Now back then it was a curse. Now it's my gift because now with boxing, I've memorized so much in my brain that actually I can do it off the top of my head. And people say, "How do you do it?" And I'm like, ah, "It's a God-given gift." But growing up, that was actually a curse. So say you bring your child in, your child has ADD. What I do is to give you an example. I'll have a kid. I'll say, "Listen, mom, dad, you're looking for him to become whatever you want him to become." Give them to me. Let, let, let me show you what happens. So I put on 40 seconds on a timer and I get this kid to concentrate for 40 seconds. Right. And I say, all right, 40 seconds to do this. So I get them in the groove of doing things over 40 seconds times. Then I do it 55 seconds, then one minute. Right. And what, what you find out is that they can actually concentrate longer and longer. I'm not looking to see them become a pro. I'm trying to get them to be able to adapt and be able to concentrate for something for a longer portion of time. What that does allows them to sit in classroom and school and not fiddle after a long portion of time, because they're starting to house their minds to be like, oh, I can just sit here, right? When we go into places, we're like, oh my God, my kid's going to embarrass me. The parents always come in and say, everything's wrong with your kid first, right? It's very rare a parent will overcome and say everything positive about the kid. They'll say, you know, they're shy, they're this, they're that, da, da, da. you know, I always say, they are who they are, right? Let's just figure out who they are. What, what do you see with them? What do you want with them? And they'll tell me, and I ask the kid, what are you looking for? And then they'll tell what they're looking for. And then I'll look at what I'm looking for. And then we just mold that together. Mm -hmm. So I notice for the kids that have, quote unquote, society disabilities, they actually become the kids that actually love it the most. And I, I know, you you know, Dan and Gavin, when Gavin came to me, and I can say this because, you know, it's it's, just, it's a public, you know, fact or whatever. He was a very shy, quiet kid. You know, this kid, he he just, he was very to himself. He didn't talk much or, you know, whatever. And I, I, just, I saw something in him and I just kept working with him. He enjoyed it. And today, he's a freaking beast. Yeah. I mean, he's just unbelievable, right? I mean, you take a kid that literally would throw one punch and kind of like, ah, uh, and never thought he was going to want to come back. You know, his dad gave me his background. And I just said, look, you know, let's just keep doing it. You know, that father. And I love the father-son duos or the mom and dad duos. Like, when, whenever I get a parent that comes with their kid and they're into it, it's like, for, for whatever reason, they're at the top of my life because I didn't have a dad. Um, growing up. So anyone who does that type of training together, whatever, they all might go to the top of my list. I just think it's special to be able to have that relationship. That's something in common. So someone like him, who they would say, quote unquote, was getting picked on and so on and so forth. He's a success story for me at, at, at just at the level that I'm at, because I look at him, I say, not so much of how much he's accomplished just in his own right, but the fact that I took him from one particular situation and personality to another. I didn't create that. I just brought it out of him because it was already in him, right? Yeah. But to be able to do that, that's 
commendable to me for him to come to me for his senior year project and to um, come under me and, and do his senior project and study under me or whatever and tell me how thankful he was and, and him to write that nice letter about me to his school. It, it meant a lot to me because I just felt like, man, I, what I'm doing is worth it. So he's an example of someone, my, the other kid, Nick, who I have the same amount of time as him, same thing, kid didn't want to come, didn't want to do anything. He's with me, you know, twice a week still to this day. He comes to my summer camps. He comes out with my kids or whatever. Again, another kid. That, and, and and not that I'm promoting this, but another kid that he wouldn't be one of the kids you want to pick on at this particular point in time. You know what yeah. I mean? And and they don't use it in the, in the aspect of doing something with someone. But I just know that the mental aspect. I had another friend who has a son and a daughter who actually were suffering from depression. And they were coming to me for three years. For three years straight, they came to me. And they just said no one ever pushed them the way I pushed them. No one ever put them in that 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 situation like i i have a way of um my own personal strategy of just pressuring you so much to the point you're going to break and then i build you back up again and i break you down and build you back up again and i think that kids that are already suffering from that it's easy to say look you want to quit fine you have two choices either you're going to learn from me now and have the tools to do it or your parents will be begging you to come back to me at some particular point in time because something has happened to you and you don't know what to do it's your choice you can come to me now or God forbid you'll see me in a couple of years, but you'll be here to see me. You know, just as life. We all should know how to protect ourselves mentally first and then physically. And the mental aspect of it is you got to know when to hold and when to fold, when to run, when to walk, when you know what I mean? And those things all come yeah. in the challenge of boxing, you know? That's well said. You said something a few moments back. You said, I did not create it, but I brought it out. How do you know as a teacher that something's in there to bring out? What's your sign? What do you look for? How do you know when you're working with someone like, you know what, it's going to be a lot of work, but I'm going to bring something out of this person. Does everyone have it? Is everybody. it select for you? What do you think? So, so, so everyone has it. The example, right? If you put a poodle in the corner, right? He, he normally he wouldn't bite you. You put him in the corner, right? You, you corner him or whatever. When his life's on the line, he's going to fight you. He may not win, but he's going to fight you, right? He's going to growl at you, going to bite you, whatever. And some of the smallest dogs in the world are the, are the, are the, are the, the choppiest dogs, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone has it in them. I, I look at it like and say, like, Muhammad Ali, you know, Mike Tyson, whatever. They're switch trainers. They might not have been the fighters they were. Those trainers knew how to bring things out of them. I experienced that with children. Sometimes I'll have a kid, and I'm trying to do something with him, and then I'll realize one of my other trainers just has a better ability of just getting something or seeing something that I just can't, right? I have zero ego, right? I feel like mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's all going to come back to Umbrella of King's Corner and what we're creating, right? And what we're all yeah. about. So if I can't do it, I have no problem saying, hey, listen, I can't do it. This job is better for you. Let him try it or whatever the case may be. So I feel like everyone has something in them. It's just how do you bring it out of them? And a lot of times it's just kind of putting them in a position where it's like, look, what are you going to do? You know, take boxing out of it. What are you going to do, right? If it's a young lady and I, I teach a lot of my girls this, I'm like, you know, if I'm the guy and 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 I'm pressuring you to do something and you don't want to do it, what are you going to do? Are you just going to give in or you're not going to give in? What I'm teaching my daughters, you know, do you give in or do you not give in, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not always going to be easy and I'm not always going to be there to tell you what to do. So again, I have to show you how to deal with life. A lot of times we shelter our kids and they can't deal with things. They don't know what to deal with or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes I just think like touching the stove sometimes is like, look, it's hot. You touch anywhere, you're going to burn yourself. And after you burn yourself, I'll help you heal yourself. And if you do it again, I'm going to say, you're here, you're, now you'll do it. You'll heal yourself on your own. I'm not going to do it. I, that's just my philosophy. It might not be the right philosophy, but yeah. that's just what I do. So I think, yeah, bringing the best out of people. I think we all can do it. I just think it's a, who's the person who can do it, right? Because I'm sure 
you're like me, right? You're, you're married, right? Your wife can bring the best out of you and the worst out of you, right? They just have the ability of pressing your buttons. I mean, yep. there's not a, I don't, I don't get a better accomplishment unless it's from my mother or my wife or whatever to tell me I'm doing a good job. Everyone's in the world can tell you are doing a good job. But when you hear yep. from someone that you, you lay with every single day, it, it means something different, right? And yeah. she can tell you doing a horrible job and make you feel like crap for the rest of the day also. No, absolutely. No, it's the best and worst. How about you? You said three things. I just about your coaching philosophy or just like your mindset when you welcome a student in. One, you mentioned confidence. You try to build their confidence. Second, you make them feel welcomed, like they provide like a welcome environment. And yes. third, you go, you put pressure on them and you get to the point, then you and you back off. It's a constant game of pressure, laying off pressure. Let, let, I guess right. start from backwards going forward. Okay. Backward, let's go from the third. How do you know? Okay, you definitely put pressure on students. How do you know how much pressure a student can take before you have to lay off? What's your meter? Because everyone's a little different there, right? Like how, how yeah. do you and so I pay a lot of attention to their body language, right? And um, their eyes, you know, the eyes tell you everything about a person, right? You can kind of see them, you know, sometimes it's so much pressure that you can kind of see what I'm about to cry and, um, or you can see them just their eyes wandering off or look at the clock, um, looking for mom or dad to where they are to save them, right? So their body language will tell me when I'm pressuring them so much, when I see them not engaged anymore, I know that either I'm boring them, which happens, right? Because, you know, boxing is a, is a very repetitive sport or they're so involved in the pressure so much they don't know what to do. So normally in the game of boxing, you know, you're by yourself, right? But we always look for somebody to tag in, right? When the pressure gets too much, like life, right? So when I'm pressuring them, when I see them looking for a way out, I know they're at their max. And I just use the example about the clock, they're looking for their parents, uh, just being disengaged. Sometimes not that they're they're actually bored. Um, sometimes they just don't know what to do at that particular point because there's so much pressure on them. And then I just know to back off some and then, you know, give them that confidence back by reassuring them that what I'm doing is a reason for what I'm doing. Um, that's the biggest thing is telling them, like, you know, I'm a master at this craft of what I'm doing. I'm I'm not a mathematics agent. I'm not a I'm not a car salesman, right? Those things like that, or I have no idea what I'm doing. But this particular game about boxing and showing you what to do about boxing, this is all I do. This is all I know. And I don't want to say I'm I'm better than anybody else, but I feel like I'm the best at what I do with what I'm doing in my lane. So I just I kind of gauge it off of that, and and you know I. I think that I know enough about a person while I'm training them to know when to stop. I haven't had anybody just walk out on me and never come back. I've had some people cry and walk to your car and mm -hmm. scream at the top of their lungs and come back five minutes later, but I I've never put them to the point where they didn't want to come back, but I definitely pushed them to the limit. Yep. And you mentioned uh, a few moments ago about you can either train with me now or you, at some point you're going to come back, right? Like at some point yeah. you're going to need me where, like you mentioned earlier, you said life is going to hit you. Yes. There's just such an advantage of training a combat sport and not to win a medal or win a tournament. Just to, I, I just think there's a gift in training where like boxing, jujitsu, Muay Thai, whatever, have, what have you, where like life is going to hit you. But you mentioned confidence when you train hard in practice, that gives you such confidence when life hits you that, wow, I've been there before. And yes. like, you could take that blow. Can you mention, could you speak of what you see when your students that you train and you maybe put pressure on, then life hits them down the road when you're not around, how they would respond to compare to maybe how they wouldn't if they didn't have that combat sport in their life? Right. So I'll give you an example of someone, right? So if I teach you and I tell you that if I, so when I teach my students, I say, listen, if I tell you, if I say, Joe, you're ugly, right? You're ugly. Well, and I keep going on, right? If you know, you know, my intentions are to hurt your feelings. That's my intentions. You know, this is what I'm doing. If I do that, then I won. 
right? So going into that, if I walk up to you and I'm on purposely, I'm just saying things to you to hurt your feelings. You have to have that mental aspect of understanding that this is what they're trying to do. I can't let them win that, right? I have to be strong mentally to know like that's the whole point, right? The whole point is for them to do what they're doing. So when I'm showing someone something, I'm I'm telling them like, listen, if you don't listen to me and what I'm telling you now, and you don't let your child come with me or to a parent, like your child doesn't come with me, then what's going to happen is life's going to hit them. I'm not saying they're going to get beat or they're going to get jumped or get whatever, right? I know, for instance, my sons, right? And I have many of them. If I want them to listen to me, I'll say, Joe, do me a favor, buddy. Can you tell my son this, da, da, da? And I can tell him the same exact thing. He'll listen to you. He won't listen to me. Because dad figure and coach figure are two totally different things. A lot of people can't separate them. So I know that if I want my son to know something and I'm sitting with you and you and I are sitting down having coffee, I'm going to say, Joe, hey, tell my son, da, 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 da. Give him an example of something that you did, but use this philosophy with him, right? You're going to say it to him. He's going to be all engaged with it. When I do it, he's like, Dad, here you go, right? Because they just can't separate it, right? So when I'm telling parents, I said, you're going to bring them to me is because when I'm, when something's going to happen, you're not going to know what to do, right? We're, we're a village. We, we need each other. So you're not going to know what to do. You know what to do. The child might not respond to it. So you're going to bring them to me. Because if that wasn't the case, then why wouldn't every dad take their kid, buy a heavy bag and some gloves and go in their own basement and do it? If everyone could do it themselves, I wouldn't have a job. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, sure. it, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't even matter, right? So, so the reason why you're bringing them to me is because you want them to get a different aspect of how they're going to learn, how they're going to deal with things other than coming from you. Because coming from your parent doesn't work. So I say bring them now or bring them later. If technically you don't bring them to me, you will be seeking out someone that does something that I do because it's the mental aspect. Because you can get in the weight room and look good. You can have all the biggest muscles in the world and look great and all stuff, whatever. And inside, be soft as a cookie, right? Because you're yeah. just breakable because no one's ever built it up for you. I, I've had my worst behind weapons by people 120 pounds, 125 pounds, man. They had the heart of a lion, man. This is unbelievable. And and they mentally beat me first by telling me what they were going to do to me. And they were mm-hmm. able to do it. So I tell parents, listen, bring your child to me. I'm not looking for Mike Tyson. I want to help you help your child for life. They prepare them yeah. for life. And that's how I work it. No, oh, that's great. And then you mentioned like maybe the student that doesn't, find a Malik Harris, doesn't find King's Corner, doesn't find jujitsu somewhere. Doesn't have that combat sport with that coach that's on them, that's pressuring them, that builds their confidence, makes them feel welcome, you know, builds their life skills, where maybe even if they never come back to you, 15, 20 years later, they're the ones that need two beers to go to sleep at night, or maybe like, you know, they need some, they need alcohol at night. They do stuff that's not as productive to dull the pain or the noise or whatever they're fighting through where, so like, you know, you have someone that's like, man, I had a rough day. There's some people like, I'm going to go to train with Malik and hit the bag for an hour and feel great and get that out of my head. Right. Or someone's like, I'm going to go home and drink a bottle of wine and watch TV. So you have, it's a decision. Like life's made of decisions and you do that. You, you, you go to box five days a week compared to you drink five days a week. You do that for a week. No big deal. You do that for 10 years. Your life is in a dramatically different place, right? Totally. Totally. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What, you know, when you're, when you think about it, when you say, tell someone like domestic violence at a high rate, right? What, what, what the studies tell you is that women are thinkers and, and men are reactors in the, in the aspect of you. My wife says something to me. I just react. Right. So I always I give examples, say if my wife and I got into an argument right now, you know, technically speaking, if someone was, was grading it, right. I would win because I could think faster. I'm wittier off the top of my head. I'm louder. I'm more aggressive. Right. I can, I can overwhelm her. But if I give her five minutes 
to think about what she wants to say, she can come back and she can cut me because she's thought about the process <laughs> that happened, right? She's thought about what to do, right? So these things of coming about, right? These So when you look at things like that, domestic violence comes from people not being able to express themselves in the way they should, right? So if I want to tell you something, you're not listening to me because I want to control it. How do I control it? I use a physical aspect to control it, right? So then the violence comes from me saying, I'm going to control the situation. So if you have no outlet for that, right? What are you going to do, right? You're going to come home. You're going to be aggressive towards your kids. You'll be aggressive towards your wife. Be aggressive, or vice versa, because it could be, you know, obviously the opposite sex also. But the aggression yeah. comes from that. So if you have something like boxing, where I had a woman who would come to me one day a week, and that's uh, funny, she traveled, and she would come to me one day a week, and she would pay me the first of the month, no matter what, whether she came or didn't come. This is before I even demanded that particular um, payment. Because she never wanted to lose her spot. And she would literally come in and just say, I got to come and I got to punch something. Because if I don't, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to kill my husband. I'm going to kill my kids. And it was her philosophy. But she did that. And she did that for many years. And she's still with me. And she comes once a week. She doesn't. She pays me every... And she might come one time a month. She might come all of them. Because, again, she needs that. She understands that hitting something, someone pushing her and breaking her. And I'm telling her, I always tell her, listen, you owe me 30 minutes. That's all I'm telling you. You got... The other 23 hours, you know what I mean? All that's to yourself. You owe me this. You owe yourself this. So when you walk in the door and you're already crying, you already got excuses, you know, I tell her, I pat her on the chest, say, look, man up, let's go. This is what you owe me. And then I make, I get her through that mental. And she's so appreciative. And she might cry the whole way through, but it's just something that gets her through. And that just shows you she could go home and just drink a bottle of wine, right? And just do the total yeah. same thing I just did and be and, and, and be fine. And the aspect of be fine mentally. So I think that having that outlet, to be able to come and have someone put that pressure on you when you're done, the last thing you want to do is go fight somebody. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, I want to touch on one more thing you just said sure. there. Maybe move over for a few minutes, wrapping up on the business side of sure. what we do. How about you mentioned that woman who comes to you that she's busy, she travels, she comes by one time a week and she goes, right. I just got to hit something, right? Yeah. So like mm -hmm. some people, can you speak to, I know some people that I, I speak to the jujitsu world, they're like, well, I can't go five days a week, so I'm not going to join. Or maybe they joined when they were in college and they could go five days a week, but then they got a job and then they might only be able to train two days a week after their life changes, their life circumstances change. They have a baby, right. they get married. Like, can you speak to the value of maybe just showing up one day a week and do that consistently? How would that be way better than not going at all? Could you speak to that? Absolutely. So you think about it, right? I tell people like something's better than nothing, right? So as they say, the only bad workout is a workout you don't do. There's not something as a bad workout, right? You can't have a bad workout. Maybe it wasn't your best workout, but it's never a bad workout because you showed up. So it's like my mom used to say to me, like, save a penny for a rainy day, right? So if you save a penny every single day of your life, right? And when you die. And you gave your kids the money you had, they'd have some money. If you never saved the penny, you gave them nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So the aspect of telling someone just coming and showing up, you don't actually have to come five times a week or whatever. But here's the difference of what I say. If I'm your doctor and I told you, you're going to die. You're going to die if you don't go to the gym three days a week. You're literally going to die because you're never going to get to where you need to be. Your heart needs it. Your body needs it. Forget about your bathing suit. Forget about your husband saying you need to lose weight. Forget about, right, or your wife, whatever it can be. You're going to die if you don't do it. You're going to make time to do it, mm -hmm. right? You just you just are. I mean, and 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 listen, when I, I'll never forget. I was doing a push-up challenge um, the year before last, and we had to do 100 push-ups a day, right? And I, you know, I'm trying to do 100 push-ups at one time, and this wasn't working out, right? And sometimes at the end of the night, that's what I tell myself. I'm like, you know what? Every stop I get to, I'm going to do 10 push-ups every stop I get to. So I start doing push-ups. 
I started realizing that I didn't make the time to do it. Cause at nighttime, I was like, oh, I got to train people. You know, I can't get, I can't figure it out. There's always a way of, of, of making it again, small commitments before you make big commitments. Right. Mm-hmm. So don't tell yourself you're going to go five days a week. Right. Don't, don't, don't sign up in your brain five days a week. I tell somebody, tell yourself you're going to go three, make time. You're going to go two, make time, make one. You're going to, whatever it is you can commit yourself to that, you know, you can do no matter what. So if it's one time a week for a half hour, commit yourself to that. Nothing stops it from that. Not your kids. Not husband, not wife, not job, nothing, right? Yeah. That's something you can do. And then you can make it. What happens is, you know, January comes, right? My business is booming because everyone's lose 40 pounds, right? Yeah. Three, four weeks in, half the people are gone, they're doing something else because the commitment was over that. But I would say, listen, commit yourself to one time a week. Just come see me one time a week. You're literally going to see me at most, at most with holidays, sickness, vacations or whatever, 45 times a year. That's yeah. it. That's all you're going to see me. That's it. That's all I want to see. You see 45 times a year. You mean to tell me you can't commit to seeing me 45 times in one whole year, 365 days a year. If you can't commit to that, you can't commit to anything. I, I believe in that one time a week, twice a week yeah. for 20 years is life-changing. In jiu-jitsu, his name is Huron Gracie. Uh, mm-hmm. and I trained with him a few times live. and He's one of uh, the grandsons of the founder of jiu-jitsu, Elio Gracie. Runs the Gracie Academy in Los Angeles, was a guest on the show about a year back. And okay. I was at a seminar with him live and someone raised their hand and said, Hey, I'm training with all these guys going five, six days a week. I'm going twice a week, maybe three times on a great week. I'm just getting destroyed. Like I'm losing my confidence. What can I do? And he's one, don't compare, but two, he's two or three times a week for the next 30 years. That's all you need. All right. Like just twice a week. You don't need to yeah. be there twice a day. You know, like nope. just two to three times a week for 30 years, like one time a week for 30 years. And if it's a great week, go twice. Right, that positive thing in your life, and it'll be amazing where you are five years later than if you didn't go once a week, right? And just keep it in your life. Keep that, keep that coach, keep that, that, keep that training in your life. And it's just such a benefit. Now, thanks for sharing that. How about this? Let's switch over to the business side of things. Since we last spoke, you guys had a huge, big expansion. Can you tell us what you're doing now? Yeah, so I'm still in my garage. I'll never leave that. That's that's home for me. I'm still in the garage. But we've we've expanded to actually like 75 by 100. So it's half a football field long uh, inside and one particular portion of it. Um, they have a half a football field of turf in there. Um, I'm in I'm in one portion of there, and we have about 18 bags in there now. We have a lot of weight stuff like that now. Um, the facility is you do. It's a multi-facility. So in there, they have different trainers. They have the boxing. I'm in there. They have football training, strength and conditioning training. So every particular sport you can do in there, they have all different levels of stuff in this particular building. And I'm one entity inside this building. And we've expanded from the garage of having, you know, 100 and some odd personal clients to having those particular clients and then over 100 and some odd clients and that actually that come to boxing classes. We actually out for the boxing classes now. We just have gotten so big and just we couldn't handle it anymore. It's not enough hours in a day and it's not enough leaks to go around and you know, yeah. so on and so forth. In this area is not a lot of people to do exactly what I do. Yeah. So when you when you expand like that, so you have that. So just fast rewind a couple of years back. You had a smaller group in your garage, just in your garage. Correct. You know, basically all under you. How does a business owner keep that same level of quality instruction or just that same those same intangibles that made you who you are? How does a business owner keep that? As they expand, do you have any best practices? How you do that? 
So what I'm what I'm learning is just continue to be myself and lead the people who I have under me in the same direction. So I don't ask them to do anything I wouldn't do. Um, I'm in there more than everybody else. I, I have that old Kobe mentality. I'm there before you get there, and I'll be there after you're gone, right? Yeah. And uh, and I tell people, I'm, I'm not out having Starbucks and you're in the gym training for me. I'm not out here driving around the Bentley and you're walking. You know, when I tell people, I say, listen, I'm doing this from the ground up. This was my dream. My wife and I sat in the bed, you know, one day and we, and we dreamt what we were going to do. So I, I remember those and those values. So when I tell people, like, listen, I'm going to build this empire to what I'm going to build it to. And if I tell people my, my dream of what I'm going to do, people would laugh. But I tell them, listen, I'm going to build this to this empire. And if you're on a ride with me, you're right. We're, we're going to go a long way. And if you're not, that's fine. It's totally okay with, you know, but I keep the core people I have with me and I treat them the best I possibly can. So a lot of times what happens is companies decide to treat that their clients better than are actually their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, a job might say, the client is everything, right? They're, they're, they're right. They're everything. You hear it all the time. They're, and I tell people, I don't believe that to be true. I feel like when you let the trainers who train with me, I do boxing. I have some who do boxing, some who do some other fitness classes or whatever. I feel like you're the talent. You are who you are, right? And people are going to adapt to you. They come here because of us, right? They want to be here. You're not adapting to them. It's one of you and there's a hundred of them. There's no way possible you're going to make everybody happy. So you're going to be yourself. You're confident in yourself. You're going to do what you're going to do. And the people who come to us, they're going to come because they want to come, right? So if you keep the people who you have in your core or your, your trainers and keep them happy, they're going to give that same positive energy out because it starts up top. So if I'm giving you positive energy, right? I tell people, I'm 93 octane. You're not filling me with 87. I'm 93 mm-hmm. octane at all times. You're not going to fill me with anything else. So given that same energy, if I give you that energy, you got to give it back to me. You're not going to give me back 88. You're not giving me back 87. And if you are, this ain't the car for you, right? You don't you don't put 87 into a Porsche or a Lambo. So you don't put it into me. And I'm not going to put it into you. So if I give you that and you give it back to me and we respect each other, I think that's how you grow it. Sometimes when people grow, they feel like it's me, 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 me. And they got their chest out, right? And they realize that it's you with the people under you. But you wouldn't be where you were if you didn't have those people. Yeah, I love it. You might just you may have just came up with the title of your book or mini series, 93 Octane. How about- 93 Octane, baby. Yeah. <laughs> that, 93 Octane. That is uh, so cool. How about this? So we were about maybe a year or two out of COVID. Mm-hmm. What do you see some of the challenges that kids or people that are coming to see you, especially kids that potentially may be battling maybe some ADD or on the spectrum autism, or even just a regular kid that comes to you? What do you see the the long-term effects of COVID? Everyone locked in their house for a year and a half. What do you see? So I see a lot of people that have um, picked themselves apart, right? Have figured out everything that's wrong with them, right? So So if I go to a kid and I say, what do you think about yourself, right? Most times they'll give you more negative about themselves than positive, right? They'll say, oh, well, I'm shy or I'm this or I'm fat or I got acne, right? Whatever. Very few people will come back and be like, yo, man, yo, I'm everything. I, yo, I'm, I'm, I was bad, but I'm doing good. So I feel like what COVID did with people was just put them in the shell of them, you know, reassessing themselves. But when you don't have the outside world to give you that reassurance that everything's okay, we're our own worst enemy, right? So I, when I look at myself, I'm our own worst critic. So when you're spending months and months and months of time, like in your house by yourself, or if you're an immediate family, right, you're going crazy with the kids and, you know, your parents or whatever the case may be, those effects are long-term. I think that now kids are out here now, and I think kids are actually socially awkward and not even on purpose. I think a lot of times you see these kids now, they're out, even my kids do this, like, 
I, my kid will, will be here in the house, ask me to go do something, get in a car with a friend and leave, and then text me another question. Like, why did you just leave two minutes ago and not ask me that question? Mm-hmm. It's almost like they can't face you. They can't face whatever the case may be. They can't look at yeah. you. They don't know how to do anything. And I've noticed it with kids. They just, everyone has just been internal and they just don't know how to like, yo, open up, breathe again, right? Like the, the world, like I think if COVID did nothing, it should make you appreciate your freedom, right? And appreciate everything that you have, your gifts in life or whatever. And yeah. so much of us, have, we're still complaining about COVID and the residue of COVID. But I'm like, look, here's the thing, right? The sun comes up, the moon comes up, it goes down, right? Yesterday it was there, it'll never come back ever again. Like if you keep that mentality, wh- where are you going to be? Yesterday I was 21 years old. I can remember turning 21, going out to drink, right? Today I'm 43 years old, right? It was no. yesterday. And I can tell you everything I did on my 21st birthday. And it goes in a flash like this, right? So I think that what COVID did to people is put them in that shell. And I think now I'm dealing with getting people to come back out of that shell still. Mm-hmm. Um, to just be able to say, look, life goes on. Let's let's just figure it out, whatever the case may be. Thank you for sharing that. How about this, Malik? How about if you look out to the rest of the year? Your social media presence is awesome. You're you're helping more kids than ever. When you look out to the year ahead, what's the most exciting project you're working on now? So I'm working on a nonprofit called Momentum with two of my partners, Jeffrey and Dominic. We've we've actually developed this uh, pre-COVID, and we had to wait during COVID, shut everything down. We finally got approved by the state for this nonprofit. And it's actually a nonprofit that allows for every child at risk youth children to have a place to go. We're going to have like a boxing, culinary school, art studio, music studio. We have a, a big, big, huge plan for this. And we actually want to mimic something like a Boys and Girls Club, but like mm-hmm. more involved in the community. We want to put one in every major city across the, across the country is our, is our goal. Um, and basically, it's having a place for kids to go. Like, you know, kids on the street that's walking around with headphones on, he's rapping, right? getting made like how you ever get to the studio you know you might be out here getting in trouble whatever so listen you come here we'll get you through school we'll help you get interviews we'll help you do things we'll do put on talent shows so that you can perform we'll take that money donate it back to you to get a demo for music so on and so forth or that artist that can draw um we, we will we'll platform that and we'll sell their auction off their pictures so and get money to do different things um how many kids do you know that parents work two jobs and the older sister or sibling is is, is cooking for them well you might not necessarily want to be a cook, but let, let the culinary school teach you how to cook so you don't bring your house down, right? So you can cook a healthy meal or so that kids don't have to be morbidly obese because no one knows how to cook on the stove anymore with these microwavable food or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, counselors in there, um, all different entities of things in there. Some some counselors helping people with day-to-day things. So that's 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 our goal. And it's funny because we are, we're starting to meet again because we finally got, thank God, we got our, our lawyers pro bono now and the state picked it up. So it's, it's, it's moving forward. But because of COVID, life's happened so much. We've adapted to our own lives and our own businesses. Jeff, who's the other founder, he's my head trainer. And then Dominic, who was uh, a head at Wawa, who actually is off now doing his own thing, owns his own place called Tacos of Coffee in Quakertown. So we all started our own like businesses and doing things. So we've gotten away from it because it's been so long. But um, it just came back on the table a couple months ago. So we're excited. And, and hopefully within the next year, we will really be able to put the momentum behind that particular project. That's my outside project besides King's Corner. Wow, that sounds incredible. Good luck with that. That is super, super cool. How about this? What advice, wrapping up here, what advice would you have for someone maybe struggling in school, maybe struggling with self-confidence, maybe getting bullied, maybe just just, just maybe suffering from a lack of confidence? What would you say to them if they're considering maybe stepping into the ring, training, but maybe they're just scared, intimidated to do so? What would you tell them? So I would tell them if they're in a local area, they should find me. (laughs) 
I would tell someone the worst thing you possibly do is get out there and just jump into the fire without having someone teach you. If it's not me, somebody, someone you can trust, someone who knows what they're doing. Because in reality, the art of boxing, right? It's an art, it's a gift. And fighting and, and fighting is a part of boxing, but that's not actually the boxing, right? Boxing is more mental than people actually realize it actually is. It's yeah. it's a hell of a thing to get punched in your face and keep going. As Mike Tyson says, right? Everybody's got a plan to get punched in their face, right? So all that goes out the door when, when things start to happen. But I think that when people had that feeling of that, I think that at that point it's more mental. And I think that they need to seek out and find an outlet for that particular energy because that energy could be in any particular sport, any combat sport. But if it's something they feel like, hey, I want to get into this sport and something I want to do, I think they should find someone who knows what they're doing first to be able to guide them. Because a lot of people think that's what they want to do until they realize the dedication that it takes. Then they realize, hey, you know what? I just want to come hit the bag, hit some mitts, have a good time. And, you know, and that's that's great. You know, that's how my business is built. Most people don't want to go in the ring and be boxers. But, you know, if it's something that they're considering or something that they want to do, I think they should definitely seek out and do some homework on some of the trainers out here because there are some great ones and really find out who would fit them and, and, and really seek out them first before they just jump out there and try to do anything. That makes sense. How about this, Malik? We covered a lot of ground over the last hour. If you could have everyone listening, take just one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? Those who believe they can and can't about themselves are probably right. Those who believe that they they can can and they can't are both probably right. Are both probably right. So, So if you tell me I can't, well, you're probably right. You can't. You tell me you can, you probably can, right? I mean, listen, you and I are on this, on this, on this meeting today, right? Someone thought about this. Someone else thought that they couldn't, right? Mm-hmm. Everything, everything starts with the mind. It comes up with something. So, I, I believe positive thinking, right? When you, the, the positive thinking about yourself and everyone else around you is, is the way of life, right? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's no secret as to why San Diego is. Everyone's just happy and it's all the right. That sun, that vitamin D, that that vibe of being places, right? And then you got places that are gloomy and. You know, they have really high rates of, of suicide and so on and so forth, or whatever the case may be, right? Because what they believe, the environment that they're in, right, that what, what, they're, what they're surrounded by. So I believe that that you are what you say you are, right? As they say, you are what you eat. That's what I believe. I believe that we should really, really think more positive about ourselves and give ourselves more credit than we actually do. It's okay. It's okay to believe in yourself. I think that it's okay to believe in yourself. And people take that wrong and thinking that, oh, you're being conceited. No, no. You should be confident in who you are, right? You should believe in what you are and what you're doing. Wow. It all starts with the mind. You you are what you say you are. And then to quote Malik, to quote you, Malik, those who think they can or think they can't are right. I think that is about as good as a spot as any to wrap this up. Uh, Malik Harris, it is awesome to talk to you again. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Oh, thank you. I could talk to you for days, brother. I appreciate you, man. This is awesome. I appreciate you. Malik, if people are looking for you and King's Corner and what you do online, where can we find you? So my website is kingscornerboxing.com. My email is info at kingscornerboxing.com. My Instagram is kingscornerboxing.com. And then on Facebook is actually my name, M-A-L-I-Q-H-A-R-R-I-S. On Facebook, you can find me anywhere on those particular sites. My information's there. My phone number's there. They can check me out anywhere. I, I, I try to be a little bit everywhere. I'm even on TikTok with King's Corner Boxing. So yeah, I try to cover all platforms. I've, I've had some advice from some, some great people who tell me how to 
cover all grounds of social media to get your name out there. So I'm, I'm taking full advantage. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put all of the links, everything you just mentioned, I'm going to put in the show notes. So if anyone's okay. looking for you, just go to the show notes. I'll have links to all your social media. You do, you Thank put you. some really good content online. Malik, I appreciate you. Great to see you. Wish you nothing you too, but continued success. Let's keep in touch. Thanks, brother. You too, man. I appreciate you. Let me know when you drop it, man. Thank you so much. I, I, seriously, I appreciate you, brother. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast listening app, or better yet, share the episode with a friend. That really goes a long way of helping the podcast grow and connecting it with a bigger audience. Thanks so much. Talk soon.